Everybody okay over there? Yep. Yeah, sorry. I'm uh, I'm, I'm leaving my house and setting an alarm. <laughs> oh, got it, got it. Um, good. Ladies and gentlemen, what you're about to listen to is an experiment in sound. For this episode of Madcap, we speak with Mark and Jay Duplass, the creators of the HBO series Togetherness. Sunday nights on HBO are strong. First, we start off with The Jinx, an episodic tale where we try to figure out if Robert Durst, the Duke of Manhattan royalty, is in fact guilty of the litany of crimes he's accused of. Each time he blinks during an interview, I think he did it. He blinks again and I think maybe he's just the unluckiest man in America. Then he blinks again, and I lose all sense of self. After this hour, there is Girls, where Lena Dunham and her posse find all kinds of innovative mischief to get themselves into in practically every environment they are in, whether it be the Upper East Side or Iowa. And then there's Togetherness. Here's a clip. Can I ask you something? Does Brett seem okay to you lately? I think so. I mean, for an anal grumpy vegan, he seems to be in the zone of okay. He seems off to me. Yeah? Yeah. Just maybe could you, like, keep an eye out? Just let me know if anything is up? Okay, yeah. Okay, thank you. Of course. Thank you. How are you doing? I don't know. I guess I'm just questioning it all. The exercising and really the whole acting thing in general. Yeah, maybe I just have a fat soul and maybe I'm just supposed sorry, to be... Sorry, you... No, I, I, I'm going to be right back. Okay. I'm sorry. No, no, it's all right. That was Melanie Linsky, who plays Michelle Pearson, in an exchange with Steve Zissi, who plays Alex Pappas. The gentleman in question is Michelle's husband, Brett, who is also Alex's best friend, played by Mark Duplass and they should be worried about him as he was off drinking mushroom tea with randoms when this conversation took place. Togetherness is a show created by Mark and Jay Duplass and Steve Zissi. In it, Brett and Michelle are struggling to rekindle the spark in their relationship which has puttered from the stresses of marriage and children. Fucking kids, man. Ruin everything. When Brett's friend Alex and Michelle's sister Tina, played by Amanda Peet, move in with them, the foursome engage in a tragically comedic struggle to bring their true dreams to fruition, while maintaining some level of decency for one another. Viewers feel a sense of togetherness in that we are really preparing for the absolute worst of scenarios between these characters. We've just got so many questions. For one, is Tina going to sleep with Alex? Or is she really going to fall for the dapper Larry, played by Peter Gallagher, who is part man, part eyebrow? Also, is Michelle and Brett's marriage going to make it? Michelle seems to have a thing for racially ambiguous men with nice hair, as opposed to her own husband. They haven't had a successful sexual encounter with one another in God knows how long. 
in an earlier episode, we were almost certain she was going to fuck some 17-year-old kid she bummed a cigarette from named Miguel. The whole scenario made me nervous. So much shit is about to pile up, and that is what makes this show interesting. Anyone over the age of 35, 30, really knows about the purgatory life thrusts you into, and the Duplass brothers are portraying this tale through their own lens. Jay, could you uh, describe in vivid detail the first time you met Mark? Set the scene, if you will. I wish I could remember that. <laughs> uh, but it must have been in 1976 when he was brought to my home. Mm-hmm. All I remember specifically is arguing with my parents that he was my brother, but I was not his brother. I remember there was a very specific ownership uh, legalese issue going on in my mind at the at the uh, age of three and a half that uh, we were having an impasse with. Is this a uh, is this a thought that has since abandoned, or do you still hold this? Uh, I I I I am uh, I responded to good clean uh, argument and logic. I wasn't happy about it at first, but I've I've had a good uh, what, what you know thirty nine years to adapt. So it's <laughs> coming around. Okay. So uh, I read somewhere that your high school motto was for the greater glory of God. Do you live by this, and what does it mean to you? <laughs> Great question. A A M D G. Yeah. Let's start out. Let's start out hard. You know, it's a tough one. We were raised Catholic. Um, we don't, like, go to church every Sunday anymore. But I, I certainly um, can be found praying to something when uh, I get scared on an airplane or I really want something or I'm really afraid of something. So there's some kind of being out there that I'm super interested in and, and, uh, and I hope takes interest in me. But I think the more direct God for me and Jay over the past at least 15 years has been this goal to like try to make something creatively relevant and try to uh, not suck at our art. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you look at our daily output, that's what you would call our God. If you were looking at us and being like, "What's their God?" Oh, their God is to try and make a, a decent piece of art. Can you? Uh... Now, and it it definitely comes from if there is a cycle to it in terms of giving and receiving, you know and the, the godliness therein, uh, you know, cycle of life type stuff. You know, Mark and I have talked a lot about how, you know, we're kind of doing this, making movies, making TV, you know, half-murdering ourselves <laughs> to do this because some of the, for better or for worse, some of the peak experiences of our lives uh, have happened inside of movie theaters or in front of the television set. And we definitely, like, feel a weird compulsion to return that favor in a weird way to sort of, you know, create those sorts of experiences for other people. Well, I, I, so I heard you use the term creative relevance. Can you can you unpack that for me? What, what does creative relevance mean to you? Good question. Um, somebody wants, like said after they saw our first movie, The Puffy Chair, that they felt like we put a microphone in their apartment and recorded the last fight they had with their boyfriend. Wow. And and that really struck us as like, oh, okay, 
we didn't know exactly what we were trying to do specifically, but when we heard that, we were like, that that seems really uh, something to be proud of. So I also also heard you say in another interview that there is a difference between, or or can you explain to me the difference between fun and fulfilling and rewarding? Because you talked about kind of like on the set as not not as much fun, but fulfilling and rewarding. But so for our listeners, what it, what is what is the difference there? Well, fun means just enjoying yourself, uh, and the sense of like I mean I guess it would be like a sense of like freedom and just doesn't matter. Uh, you're just enjoying your time. But when we're on set, you know, I don't know, our attitudes might show differently because we're trying to create for the actors a feeling of fun and freedom and the fact, the the concept that they can fall around and anything is possible. But for me and Mark, when we're in writer-director mode, we're kind of holding that whole universe in our arms. Mm -hmm. And... There's an enormous sense of uh, direction and um, duty, I guess. Uh, and you said also, duty. I said duty. <laughs> also, like, just, like, rabid fear. Terrifying, just, just fear that we're going to not make something good. We've made lots of bad things in the past before. It feels really bad. It feels gross. And so... You know, when you're making something, it's just like you're really, I don't know. There's, It's not that fun, but it is incredibly fulfilling when you have that breakthrough and when, you, when you've created an environment and, like, lightning strikes and magic happens. You can't really beat the feeling of success and fulfillment that you get from that moment, but it's not necessarily, like, fun. Fun is like eating ice cream and then going and jumping on a slip and slide afterwards. <laughs> That's how I spent my morning. Ready, set, go! Ashley went far, but Zizi didn't. I tried to walk up at Cece. All right, so I want to know what was the what was the like the worst day the worst day of filming? It didn't necessarily did, was not necessarily your fault, but what is one day on set where just everything did not go right? The worst day of filming. Oh, that's interesting. Um, as soon as you said that, I was like. Oh, we didn't have any really terrible days of filming. We didn't have any nightmares. We didn't have any, like, you know, crazy, uh, just sort of, like, crash and burns. Um, and I think part of that is because we've been, been doing this for a long time. We've kind of dialed in our experience as to where, like, when we're going to shoot a scene that's, like, let's say a really emotional scene between, like, three or four people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we know that that scene could happen in 20 minutes or it could take all day. And we're kind of prepared for the fact that we don't really know what's going to happen, which which I guess limits the ability uh, for a train wreck to really come into our set. So, you know, I would say the the worst thing that happens to us on our sets is it's not creatively jiving the way we want it to do. It's two hours in, we don't have anything good yet, and we all take a break. And me and Jay, or me and Jay and some of the actors, take a walk around the block while a hundred crew members wait for us, <laughs> and we rewrite and re-envision the scene, and then come back and hopefully have like that resurrection, and, and we find it. No. Yeah, we've been doing this long enough where we're prepared for a train wreck at all times, and what I think most people would consider a train wreck, we just consider, you know, your average 
daily grind of like what you have to go through when you're trying to make not just a movie or a TV show, but like a really good one. Okay. The other kind of train wreck you have is like some asshole actor won't come out of their trailer because their Rice Krispies weren't delivered on time, and we just hire people uh, that aren't like that at all, so that avoids that as well. Well, like Speaking that. of train wreck, Mark, I think we should reveal this on this particular podcast because um, I could not find the blender to bring to the office. Oh, dude, that's, yeah, well, it's about to happen. There we go. That's a train wreck. Because I have, I have my frozen strawberries, I have my frozen kale, I have my frozen bananas, I have my non-fat plain Greek yogurt, I have my cinnamon, I have my coconut water, and I have apples ready to go in. Wow, my, my girlfriend will leave um, me for you. <laughs> Good. After hearing, after hearing yeah, about dude. kale and, and fat-free yogurt, she would definitely abandon me yeah, just for you. Exactly. Um, so, for, actually, I want to know, so... How late did these Rice Krispies arrive? Uh, this has never happened. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't have to award, I don't have to worry about that because these I don't we won't hire those people. Uh, all right, all right, but good. there are actors. If the Rice Krispies are two minutes late, they will use that as the excuse to rain all the terror and darkness of their own personal lives upon a hundred people on the set that day. I get a note in my trailer saying you're not down to earth enough. And it's been going on for a long time, and, and it's not one person, it's everyone. There's got to come down. We have a lot to do. I'm not going to, I'm not going to come, okay? Uh, behavioral issues are the least of my fucking problems. Noted. All right, so, uh, one question we ask a lot of our guests is, uh, we read somewhere that every great artist secretly performs for an audience of one. Okay, so who is the one person individually uh, that you all keep in mind that you want to impress besides self as you've evolved? Uh, I don't really think that way, to be honest with you. Okay. I don't agree with that statement. I, my, like, audience, quote-unquote, is I am, like, performing or, or trying to please or, or, or trying to impress, you know, is, is basically, <clears throat> I, it, I don't want to say it's myself, but it's basically me and Jay. We've known each other our whole lives. Um, there's this wonderful and terrible thing about our dynamic, which is that, there could be a moment that everybody else is loving and we can look at each other and know this is false and everybody else is buying it, but we're not buying it. And and that is really great because it keeps you honest, but when you can't fake anything in front of somebody, it's a little bit tough. So the litmus test really of like, is this thing going to fly? Is this thing what we want it to be? Usually happens when Jay and I look at each other after it happens and that's kind of when we know. So the story of uh, Togetherness, the life of a struggling actor in L.A., I guess being portrayed in TV and movies, what makes Alex's story different from those? Well, um, the way we came at it is we didn't come at it from the angle of, we're going to tell a story about a struggling actor in L.A. We, Steve Zissis, who plays Alex, is uh, one of our best friends. Um, we went to high school with him, and he is the most sort of autobiographical character that we've ever created in the sense that I would say that he's like, you know, 85-90% close to this character in real life. And, you know, it just was compelling to us in the sense that you have a man who's pushing 40, who's a magical being, and everyone thought he was going to be Tom Hanks or the President of the United States when we were in high school, and now he's um, dying with his magic still inside of him. Um, and we just found it um, desperate and compelling and terrifying and funny and 
uh, you know, I think what makes it really special is just the, the specific quality of his personality. You know, the fact that he's very aware that he's balding and getting chubby and he's not afraid to talk about it and want it. I mean, I could talk for days about why this is enormously compelling, but like Mark was saying earlier, it's just it's just a story that we felt like we could watch, not just for one movie worth of material, but just like on and on. Why is it important to show real characters in Los Angeles? Because that's, that's definitely what you all are doing here. But why is, it, why is it important for people to see this? I don't think it's important for people to see this. <laughs> you don't? Uh, yeah, don't watch it. Um, what would be really important is to like um, save your money on your HBO subscription and donate it to the dying arts program of your local public school. We would really recommend that, and then maybe just borrowing your dad's HBO Go password. That 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 feels important. What is what is one song in all the world that you all can agree on that you would like to close this piece out with? If you can somehow find a way to rip the audio from uh, the YouTube clip of uh, Stevie Nicks. Uh, backstage at Rolling Stones in the early 80s, singing uh, Wild Heart, uh, making it up as she goes along. I'd be happy with that. Madcap is produced by Daniel Bloom, David Ross, Afim Shapiro, and Drew Snadeke. Snadeke moves up in the world. Our intern is... Christy Newen. MadcapDC.org. On Facebook and Twitter, at MadcapDC. Oh,